Thanks for joining us for today's sermon. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working in your life. If the messages of this church have touched you in some way, please share that with us by clicking on the contact tab at lifesc.org to send us an email. And if you would like to give to this ministry, you can do so online to help us bring messages just like this one to you each week. It is our prayer that God blesses you through this message today. I want to talk to you for a little while about pursuing thankfulness, if that's okay with you. Would you stand with me for the reading of the word? We're going to go to David's psalm, which is actually recorded in Chronicles 16. I don't know if you know that or not, but we're going to go there today. And the prelude that's not going to be up on the screen, but I want to read it to you. It says, Give thanks unto the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the people, sing unto him, sing songs. I think we just did that, didn't we? Sing unto him, sing psalms unto him. Talk ye all of all, talk ye of all his wondrous works. I'm reading King James, I apologize. Glory ye in his holy name. Glory in his name, the Bible says. And glory in his holy name. That's important to know that. Let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord. He said, your heart can rejoice in the fact that you seek the Lord. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his face continually. Remember his marvelous works that he hath done. And then we're going to jump over to First uh, Chronicles 16.34, where I want to pick up. So some of the backstory here is that David is just bringing the Ark of the Covenant back into Israel. And they are in a moment of rejoicing as a nation. And this is the chronicle that records the psalm of David, the psalm of thanksgiving. I thought that's appropriate, don't you think so? Am I doing good work so far? I got a psalm of thanksgiving for you. We're headed toward thanksgiving. Hey, we're doing pretty good. So let's read it together. You don't have to read out loud, but verse 34. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. And say ye, save us, God, O God of our salvation, and gather us together and deliver us from the heathen, that we may give thanks to thy holy name and glory in thy praise. Amen. I'm thankful for that word. How many are grateful that God saved you? Let's pray together. Jesus, anoint the word, the hearer and the receiver. Help me to say it in a way that's received. Help it be planted in our hearts and that it grow some fruit for our life, that we might be nourished by it in Jesus' precious name. And everybody said amen. You may be seated in the house of the I was raised poor, but I was raised thankful. I wasn't raised entitled. There's such an entitlement mentality in our world today, amen? So many victims and so many people that feel like outside of the case of, thank you, Dean, I appreciate it, outside of the, uh, outside of the ability to change their own circumstance and situation, I'm grateful for a God who's in control, amen? I'm grateful for the fact that I may be a person who likes control. Anybody here? Any control freaks in the house? Amen. I like control. I like to have the outcome determined. I like to know what's going to happen next and what's going to come at me. But I realize that in my walk with God, I can't be in control every time. That if I'm going to walk in faith and I'm going to step out in faith and I'm going to see God do big things in my life, that there are moments that I am stepping out on faith. Literally. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how it's going to happen. And I really don't know that I can um, control the outcomes even if I did know what was going to happen. But I'm thankful for a God who orchestrates all things. Amen? If he can spin the globe, he can spin my life, right? If he can take care of things that are much larger than me, then he can take care of my needs and my circumstances. Can I get an amen in the house of the Lord? And so what I found out was that God doesn't just pursue me. I found out that God makes me his pursuit. That's a big difference. That there's not just a God that's chasing me down because he loves me. There's a God that makes me his chase. That there is never a moment where he catches me and loves me and says, okay, you're a trophy. I put you in the cabinet of heaven and say, I got you. You've been saved. But he chases me all of my life. Amen, somebody. That even when we are saved, God doesn't stop coming after us. Even when we're saved, he doesn't stop pursuing us. He makes us his pursuit. I wish somebody would feel that in your heart today because that's an exciting word because there are times when our human heart is bent away from God. Amen? Where there's things that we 
want to do and things that we end up doing that we don't want to do. And while we strive, like Paul said, to do what's good, sometimes we don't do what's good. Amen. Because there's this condition that the human nature has through a blood transfusion from our father, Adam, who sinned and fell in the garden. And that blood transfusion passed sin on to all generations. And that generation that we accept and that generation that we walk in, and I should better say that heritage that we walk in is the fact that we are not bent toward God naturally. We are bent away from God naturally. And so therefore we have to understand that even though we're saved, even though we're walking with God, even though we're doing our best, God still has to woo our hearts sometimes. He still has to come and speak to our minds and our hopes and our dreams and orchestrate and design and help us get everything lined up to his will because we have a tendency to take the off ramp. We have a tendency to go our own way. Amen. And so in the nature of things that, and in the, in, in the fact that we like to walk sometimes away from God, I ask you this question, what are you pursuing this morning? Because the greatest pursuit in our life is to pursue thanksgiving for what God has done for us. And so we gather around trees, uh, gather around uh, sometimes trees if, if Christmas creep has happened in your life and they already have the Christmas decorations up. But so, hey, we got a celebrator of the Christmas creep. All right. We're going to dress you up for Christmas and call you the Christmas creep. And um, so we tend to have moments where we gather as a family. I don't know if you do this. Maybe you have a large family. Maybe you don't. Um, Maybe you do pick and save turkey. I don't know. It doesn't matter. But whether it's butterball with the whole family and dad always carves it with the electric knife that stops working halfway through. I don't know what your traditions are with your family, but it's wonderful to get together and be thankful for what God has done. And I want you to understand thankfulness is such an important thing. And and I've linked together pursuing thankfulness because it's not something that we do naturally. You can learn how to be thankful. Did you know that? You can learn how to be more thankful than you are right now. You can literally do certain steps and actions. So I, I wanted to call it pursuing thankfulness because if you don't pursue thankfulness in your life, you'll eventually get cynical. Life has a way of turning you toward cynicism because there's just so much hurt and pain that can happen in life. And it's not because God's not on the throne, but it's because man has his will engaged in life and people choose to do bad things. Amen. So there are some that are pursuing things that hurt others. But I want you to know that when you begin to pursue the things of God, that there's health and hope and there's healing and there's life and there's joy that falls into your life. And you start finding things to thank God for that you never even thought you could thank. God for. You can thank God for bad situations in your past because God turned them around by the grace and blood that touched it. And whenever you surrendered it to God and you said, God, I didn't mean to go there, didn't mean to do those things, but now I'm doing ministry off of those things. Now I'm helping somebody else get out because you know and I know that the best amount of trust comes from somebody that says, I've been there, but I got out. You don't want somebody that has never been where you've been before, but thanks be to God that there's grace from heaven where we can walk into a situation and say I used to be there but I'm not there anymore in fact I don't even recognize who I used to be but since I know what that's like let me tell you how to get out of the hole you're in the place you're at and let me lift you up because I have ministry now from the places I once had mistakes thank God for a pursuit of God in my life thank God that he never gave up on me but I also want to let you know that I have to continually turn around and look back at the back door out of my house and say, look at where God has spared me and helped me and kept me. You don't live life in the rearview mirror, but sometimes you need to take a moment of thanksgiving and look at the road God brought you down and how he organized it and how he controlled and ordered your steps. Amen. Amen. We wouldn't be here unless it was for the hand of the Lord on our life. Amen. In fact, the Bible says no man comes to God unless the Spirit draw him. Are you glad that the Spirit's drawing you today? Yeah. Amen. Amen. Pursuit is the action of following or pursuing someone or something. Thankfulness is a feeling of expressed gratitude or appreciation. When you pursue gratitude, when you pursue appreciation, you spend a life in satisfaction. You sit, you sit around and you can, you can tick off things in your mind that you're thankful for because you've walked with God long enough and you've learned how to be thankful long enough. 
that you can actually list things that you're thankful for. My wife is doing something this month, which I don't mean to embarrass her, but this is something that's very beautiful. She was sharing with me in the car the other day, and I wanted to share it with you, and that is that she was doing something through the month of Thanksgiving where she doesn't petition God at all. She doesn't ask God for anything. But she actually thanks God for the answer to the things she wants to petition Him for. In other words, she doesn't pray prayers, God, would you please help me with this? She thanks God for the answer that will help her with that. So if there's something like a car breaking down like what I had this week, she's thanking God for the fix of the car, amen? I'll give you something real because I went through it this week. If there's a relationship that's not working, she doesn't ask God to touch that relationship. If there's someone that's uh, finding themselves in rebellion, she doesn't ask them, Lord God, reach to them. She's, she's thanking God for God shoring them up and saving them. She's thanking God for a bill being paid if it needs to be paid. She's doing all those things. But guess what? Petition is taking place in her heart because God knows our needs before we ask them. Amen? Isn't that kind of silly to you that God would know what we need, but yet he, he wants us to ask him? Because there's certain things that need to take place in our own heart in order for us to be thankful. You have to understand that faith is what takes your need to God. To God. Faith is just the server. How many like going out to eat? I love to go out to eat. Personally, I like to you know, go to certain places and I have certain favorite things on the menu. But those favorite things don't get, my order doesn't get to the kitchen unless there's a server, amen? Unless there's someone to help my order, they take my order by table, they deliver it to the kitchen. But guess what? The food and the supply has always been in the kitchen. And the order is on the menu saying, we're happy to get this for you. But neither one will happen unless someone carries it, a server takes it to the kitchen. The kitchen is a supply of heaven for your life. The, the need that you have is available. God is a miraculous God, amen? It's all on the menu. He can do anything. He's able to do everything. The impossible is his reality, amen? So what you have to understand is your faith is the server that takes your desires and your need and your hopes and your prayers from here to heaven's resource and releases that and brings it back to your life. Your faith is the agent that carries your needs to God. So if you don't have any faith, you don't have nothing to serve what you need off the menu, amen? So you have to understand that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And the Bible tells us not to forsake the assembling of yourself together as the man of some is simply because faith preached builds your faith that allows you to have access to what's on the menu of heaven. In other words, if you don't come and hear the word of God regularly, it's a spiritual discipline, it's a Christian discipline. But if you're not hearing the word of God regularly and feeding your spirit, you will have no faith to believe God for the miraculous when you need it. And therefore you will feel unconfident in God. Inconfident, unconfident. Did I make up a word just there? You will not have confidence in God. And I come to you on behalf of a man who has spent his entire life chasing down the things of God and asking God for something and asking God and petitioning God for greater things. And I found that I walk in a peace and a calmness and a joy that I have never known when I just begin to thank God for what he's going to do and thank God for leading his church and thank God for providing things. I'm grateful for a miracle building. I'm grateful for miracle instruments instruments and people that play better than I can play. I think it's a miracle because they play a whole lot better than I can play. You put me on a guitar, you would want to leave, okay? That would be offensive to your spirit. You put me on a keyboard, I probably could hit a few right notes. But thank God for all that. But that is not the reason necessarily why I'm so thankful today. I'm here because I've been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. And everything that's in my life stands on the foundation of a sacrifice that was a substitute for me. And I'm thankful for that. And so they find themselves in Chronicles bringing the Ark of the Covenant back. They're celebrating. It's coming home from a guy's house that you can't even pronounce, Obed-Edom. I don't, don't try to, I mean, it's open right now. It's probably, you know, available if you want to name your child after Obed-Edom. It's a good name. It'll get them beat up in school, those kind of things. But 
Obed-Edom is not a great name. I don't know if his mom was just having a bad day, but this is where they wanted to get the Ark of the Covenant because that's where it settled when Hophni and Phinehas took the Ark of the Covenant into a Philistine battle and, and they thought it was just a rabbit's foot. They rubbed the Ark of the Covenant. Don't do that. But they, they, they had this idea that if we had the Ark of the Covenant, we would always win. But literally what took place was they didn't have a relationship with the God of the Ark of the Covenant. They were just using it as a way to win. And guess what? They were not thankful to the God necessarily necessarily that they were the God of the ark that they were carrying. And so it went into the hands of the Philistines. They put it in their temple, found out that, that Dagon couldn't stand up before God. Amen. He fell down several times. They ended up putting it in the house of Obed-Edom. And then here's David with the captain of the host going to get the Ark of the Covenant. They come into Jerusalem. They're celebrating. David's dancing before the Lord. They're worshiping. It's a great time. They're celebrating that God's presence is now going to be back in Jerusalem. And they're so grateful that they have this entire, uh, this entire passage written. And he said, oh, give thanks unto the Lord for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. And then he's talking about the fact that there is a Savior. And he said, and save us, O God, of our salvation, and gather us together and deliver us from the heathen, that we may be, give thanks, that we may give thanks, that we may give thanks. How many know how to give thanks? Amen? Sometimes gifting thanks is not easy. But you have to learn how to give thanks, even when you don't feel like giving it. Someone said, amen. How to give thanks. And so he said that we may give thanks to thy holy name. How many glad his name is holy. And glory in thy praise. And glory in thy praise. So I'm grateful because I understand that these people were not only excited, but they were saying that God is not only their salvation, but there is something about giving thanks that allows you to have the ability to, to glorify the holy name of God. That when we give thanks to his holy name, that we can then glory and praise. I don't know about you, but I don't come here on my merits. I don't preach because I'm so good. I don't preach because I'm qualified or put together or I have everything all set up just right. This is not based on my performance, but what I preach is because of the blood of the Lamb of Jesus Christ, that they would sprinkle on that altar, that they would celebrate it. This was their physical representation of an invisible God. And it was the beginning. It was the schoolmaster. It was the thing that God gave them to teach them how to approach God. They didn't know how to approach God. They came out of Egypt. They had spent 400 years in bondage. And then God said, look, build a tabernacle, build an ark, do it this way. Follow this pattern. This is the pattern I want you to follow. And when they followed the pattern, they began to understand that when you come to God, you enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise, as David said. And when you come to the altar, you would sacrifice and then the priest would wash himself at the laver and there was things that were set up different furniture that meant certain spiritual things and they began to learn what it was to approach God and here they're celebrating the tabernacle they're ta celebrating the ark of the covenant that was in the holiest of holies in the tabernacle and now they have access to it again and they're celebrating the fact that they as human beings now can contact and feel God's presence again because he's coming home amen Something about going home. How many love going home? Anybody here? The first time I met Sarah was, we were at Bible college and forgive the personal story, but I didn't have a home to go to because my parents were a long ways away. And um, she invited me up and said, hey, you know, sometimes I bring a few stragglers home. So I was just the stray she brought home. How's that? <laughs> so... It worked out, though, amen? I was fishing with a treble hook. I'll tell you that right now. Um, married up, and I'm thankful for it. But she was like, hey, I got a couple of guys. They, don't, they, can't, they can't go home. My dad and mom always invite them home. They have a place for you to stay. If you guys want to come back. So I came to Wisconsin from Indiana Bible College for the first time I'd ever been to Wisconsin. And when I got here, um, the next day, we were going to drive into the woods and cut down trees and stack wood and put it into a trailer and then drive home. This is fun. For apparently this is enjoyable. So we went and we did lumberjacking for a day. We just like cut wood and stacked it and split it and stuck it in a trailer. And the trailer was like, you know, you know, ghetto. It was like dragging down, you know, it was like low riding. And so then we drove home and that was the entire day. I don't think I slept better than that night ever in my entire life. I mean, I worked myself to death. But when I got here, I realized that 
there's something wonderful about having home to go to. And this is what they're celebrating, that revelation, that the experience, the love, the, the, the excitement about having something that was lost and now found. I, I want you to know that the greatest thing you can be thankful for are things that God puts back in your life that you release to him if he wanted to take it. The things that God puts back in your life. I, I just, I'm taking a personal moment because it's a personal thing. Thanksgiving should be personal in your life. It should be something that you personally have things that you don't even maybe even talk about that you're thankful to God for. I'm thankful for my sister sitting on the back row because we grew up together and I never thought that I'd be preaching in a church that she's sitting in, but I'm so grateful she's here today because that's something that God gave back to me in my life. I've spent all my life going to that family vacation. That family, it wasn't a vacation, but that, that family get together for Thanksgiving. And now I actually have some of my family here for Thanksgiving. So I'm grateful. Those are private moments in my own purse. Thank you. I appreciate that. I didn't ask for applause, but I, I thank you. That's very kind of you. But those are private things that I can be thankful for. But above all that, I find myself being thankful for the quiet quiet moments with God, the moments where there's not a hustle and bustle, there's not, there's not the corporate situation where I'm busy trying to earn money to make a living, and I'm, 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 I obviously read a lot of business stuff, and I, I apologize if there's a business slant to some of the things I say, but I'm learning to pursue thankfulness in God, where I take a moment and I just be still with the Lord, and I come by here almost every evening and it's on my way home, and I stop in here, and I just begin to pray and walk this place and just see what God will say to me. Not what I'm going to say to him, but what he'll say to me. Do you have those moments in your prayer time and in your devotion? I would encourage you to do so. Don't just spend all your time giving God a list of things that he needs. Start your prayer time with thanksgiving. Enter to his gates with thanksgiving. Enter to his courts of praise. Then go into praise. Praise him for things that you can praise him for. And then lift your hands and just begin to worship God in that moment of praise. And just spend some time in God's presence because there's nothing we should be more thankful for than the presence of God. There's nothing we should be more thankful for than being able to be in his presence. Amen? And then from that, just take a moment of quiet just listen to what the spirit of God would download listen to what the spirit of God would say to you because God will speak it's not just a monologue it's a dialogue between you and God and you need to spend time listening to God as much as you spend time speaking to him amen somebody yes. learning to be thankful takes space it takes silence and it takes slow times it takes times where you just turn off the phone it's amazing there's this new phone out and I don't know if you guys know this, but um, with the new phones that just came out, the iPhone X, there's a little button on the side, and then if you push it and you just hold it down, as you're holding it down, something comes up and you can go like this. <laughs> it's not a new feature. It's called turning your phone off. <laughs> I'm just playing with you, okay? Sometimes you need to turn your phone off, amen? They do turn off. Hello, somebody. And take some time with the Lord, because as soon as you get into prayer, and as soon as you sit down with your Bible in the morning or wherever you do it, I pray in the evening, like I said, on the way back from work. Whenever you sit down and you begin to pray, your mind starts racing with the things that you have to do, because your flesh does not like prayer. You will never have a moment where you wake up in the morning and go, woohoo, it's time to pray. You probably will not have that moment very rarely if you do have that moment. If you're a morning person, you'll probably have that moment. And I really don't like you. Because you get up and you sing and you, and you have colorful socks. No, that wasn't directed at you, Carla, at all. At all. No, it wasn't. I just... And you whistle your way to the coffee pot in the morning, and you're so happy, and you disgust me, really. I mean, I love you, but don't come to my house in the morning, because I will punch you in Jesus' name. Because I'm not a morning person. I, my stomach doesn't even wake up till 10 a.m. So if that tells you anything, the rest of me gets up about 10.30. You know, I start really functioning. But you hit me at 9 p.m. and I'm rolling. I mean, I'm, I'm on my game at 9 p.m. because that's me. That's my circadia cycles. I just live for the evening. You know, I work and do my best stuff like from 3 to 9 p.m. It's amazing. My wife is going to bed. I'm ramped up. She's getting crazy. You know, like, please shut off the noise. You know, and I'm like, Jesus is talking to me right now. I'm in my flow, baby. She's like, I'm dead tired. I started in the morning. 
And I start in the evening, but sometimes that hustle can be harmful. And so they're noticing this in the business world right now, that there's, there's a need for space and silence and slow time, that you can't work your way through, um, through a badge of busyness and say, hey, I'm busy all the time. I try not to do that as a pastor. And you know, I don't give that off very well. I give off a sense of busy, and I don't mean to do that. I'll just apologize to the congregation, taking some personal moments, and I will not take so many in my next sermon. But the harm of hustle is being found out that we're losing things in our busyness. And so we have to not only apply this to our natural life, but to our spiritual life. But according to social critics of the cultural, and a cultural historian, Marie Burnham, she said the culture of hustling is one of America's worst crimes. She said that... Um, she said that he, or no, it's a he, Morris Burnham. He said he explains that most people hate their lives and use any matter of method to make it through the day from Prozac to dopamine rush um, of checking their cell phones and social media channels every two minutes while they are trying to convince themselves that they are doing exactly what they were meant to be. What, what's being lost in the hustle is room and a precious time needed for creativity. The fun, pleasure, and restorative nature of enjoying activities and loving our families and thankfulness for the things we have is being lost, and we are no longer nourishing our families as much as we are spending time at work. The business world is now noticing what the church has always known. David Hansen said in, in his published work, Rework, and then in another book that he just put out, The Calm Company, he explains sustained exhaustion is not a badge of honor. It's a mark of stupidity. Interesting how the world is beginning to notice that you need to have a day of rest. Amen. We've known it all along in the church. You need to have time where you take time out. Amen. Zig Ziglar said, you cannot truly be considered successful in your business if your life, if your home life is in shambles. Interesting. The business world is now making the connection. And I think it's interesting that the recent Gallup poll that I found was in, in an American workplace, 51% of employees are not engaged at work while another 16% are actively disengaged while at work. There's three major things that affect this. So many of us find different reasons to do what we do at work, and sometimes we justify it, but finding meaning in what you do is very important, number one. Number two, our hope for the future must be real. And number three, it's found in relationships. Thankfulness is found in finding meaning in what we do, finding our hope in the future, and finding relationships. Isn't it great that this is the foundation of the church, that finding meaning in what we do is that the church church was bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. And the reason we pray is because the blood is covering our life. The reason we live for God is because his blood covered our life. The reason that we walk with God, I don't pray beautiful prayers. And really, if we, if we think about it, God's not interested in how beautiful our prayers are. He's interested in the fact that we know that we need to come to him. Amen. That he is the one that we find our meaning in and we should seek him with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, and all our strength. I don't have a reputation that gives me the right to pray to God. I don't have a lifestyle that's so perfect that I have a right to pray for God. It's not about rights. It's about meaning. It's about what he did for me. It's about the value of my life being purchased by his blood. And I stand upon that every time I pray. Is that okay? And then, of course, our hope for the future. How many have a hope of heaven? I do. You do. We're going someplace. Amen? Amen. We're going to get out of here someday. This world's not our home. We're just a passing through, this, the old song used to say. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Remember the story of the man that went to heaven and he got to the gate and they were letting people in and they put them all in a shuttle and they took them over to their, their, their place, their mansion, and, and Peter was giving out the keys. He was on the golf cart, I guess, too. And they were all driving around heaven on golden streets and I think that's funny that it's golden streets because I feel in the last days, gold will get very, very valuable because if we're going to go to a place where they make streets of gold, then, then gold is going to stay valuable. Invest in gold. That's pastor's plug, okay? <laughs> Invest in gold because before we get out of here, gold's going to get really, really valuable because if we're going to walk on it up there, then obviously God's going to say, if it was so valuable on the earth, I'll make it pavement in heaven. Woo! Uh, that's fun. That's fun to preach. I could preach that, but I'm holding back. 
our relationships, our future with God is so great that now this, 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 this understanding of what we send to heaven helps us in the, in the eternal world. There's, there's so much beauty in the fact that this, this thing that I was telling you, the story, this gentleman drives up to an amazing mansion. Peter gives the keys to a guy, and he's like, here's your new home. It's amazing. God bless you. Thank you for all the times you gave, you sacrificed on earth, you, you worked for the kingdom, you did all these things that nobody even knew you were doing. And he's like, thank you. This is amazing. A mansion. Thank you. And he goes to his mansion. Then the, the golf cart goes on. And the, the man that was standing at the gate, he's like, excited, man. I'm going to get a big mansion just like that one. And they pull up to a shack. And it's run down. And it's the only shack around. Everyone else has a mansion. And he doesn't have anything more than a shack. And Peter turns to him and goes, here's the keys. And he goes, well, well wait a minute. Why, why is everybody else getting a mansion? And I've only got a shack. And Peter said, well, that's all the materials you sent. That's all the sacrifices you made. And so the story is kind of funny, but it has a point that when we don't make when we don't make things necessary in our life, when we don't put God first in our life, there are things that we are, we are not going to see happen in the, internet, in, in the eternal realm of heaven. So I don't have a goal of a mansion. I'll just tell you that right now. My, my goal is not just to have a mansion. My goal is to reach as many people as I can while I'm on earth. Amen? But unfortunately, what happens with that goal as a pastor is I get busy and I get this hustle going and I can realize that I can walk right by hurting people while I'm busy doing the work of God. And you can get busy doing church work and forget the work of the church, amen? And so I don't want to do that. I don't want my spiritual life to be harmed by hustle and wear a badge of busyness in my spiritual life that somehow sustains my exhaustion because I'm always just praying for strength. And I saw something the other day that said, what would, what would change if, what would change in the world if God answered every one of your prayers right now? What would change? Or are you only praying for your needs? Are you only praying for the things that you need? Because I want to be thankful to God in a way that allows me to walk into situations and assess needs of individuals, assess the desires of folks that, that don't necessarily know how to find God, but that I could be a, a, a server to them. I could be one that brings a supply from the kitchen to the table and say, look, whatever you need, God is well able to supply it. He will supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory. Are you thankful to God today? Are you thankful to God? Because when we make him our pursuit, his pursuit has a pull to it. It pulls us back from the places our heart wants to take us to. Amen. It's bad people don't sin. People sin. We're bent towards sin. Amen. We like to be on it. I'm here, but, and we like to be all dressed up on a Sunday and look good and all that. But we have to admit that people like to sin. Amen. There was a missionary that went to Africa and he saved up all his money and he felt like God had called him to Africa to reach the poor and the lowly and the tribes and the natives that were there. And so he saved up all his money. He toured several churches and he got sponsors and he headed off to Africa and he was on a mission for God. And he got to Africa and he slipped into a deep depression because when he got to Africa, he realized that people in Africa love to sin as much as people in America do. It's a people problem. It's not a bad people problem. It's just a people problem. We're bent away from sin. But thanks be to God for the blood of Jesus Christ that touches our life and heals our minds and, and touches our consciousness and turns our heart toward God. There's a pull to the power of God. There's a pull to the Spirit of God. And I'm thankful for the fact that when I pursue God, He's already pursuing me. I'm thankful for the persuasion of the Spirit of God. And that whenever we can, when we pursue God, there is a persuasion to it. That whenever I look back, I see that I am more persuaded now that God has done me good, that He's helped my life, that He's kept my marriage together. I am more persuaded now to walk with God than I was when I was 20. Not because God's any greater, but because my walk with God testifies to a great God because I can look back and I can see it pursuing God has a power to it. Amen? Pursuing God has a provision to it. You like the peas I'm using? I'm doing pretty good, right? Pursuing God has a protection to it. I'm thankful for the protection of God that even though when I put the kingdom first and people told me you're wasting your life, you're wasting your life in your 20s living for God. What are you doing? You're giving your best years to the church. 
I'm so grateful that I did. I'm so grateful that I pursued him the way I did because I'm not just standing here today because I prepared a sermon. I'm standing here today because God prepared my life to do what I do, to minister the way I do this. And this is only about 10% of what I do right now. Ministry is not just pulpit preaching. Ministry is serving others. The word minister means to serve. That's why I can say to people that, don't, that aren't even saved yet, you minister to me today. You help me today. My sister is serving. She's ministering to young ladies that don't have a life. She's picking them up and bringing them to church. Maybe not today because it's, they didn't come today, but some days she'll have full cars. She'll bring them here. You want to know why? Because she's ministering to people. Betty, you ministered to people this morning. Betty was at the situation at her complex. There was three fire trucks outside. People are all around. She said, hey, there's a piano. The Bible says, everything that hath breath, praise the Lord. Let's begin to praise the Lord. And they were going to sing and praise God. And then they said, you can go back to your rooms. She ministered. She served people. She was like, hey, guess what? We need to continue to put God first, even in a bad situation. Putting God first is never going to do you wrong. Putting the kingdom first will never do you wrong. So I want to be thankful today in your presence for the things that I've given to God, but the things that I have been privileged to have from the Lord. I'm thankful for all of these verses. Philippians 4 and 6 says, Do not be anxious, and I'm wrapping down. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. Everyone say, with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Do not be anxious for anything. This is where anxiety gets handled. If you have fears and anxiety in your life, it says don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. In other words, your prayer and petition is best done with thanksgiving. I like that, because that's what we're doing in our home right now for the thankful month. Ephesians 5 and 4 nor should there be a obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking. In other words, stop cussing. <laughs> Which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Sorry, I'm a little too real sometimes. Some of you are like, polish, pastor, get some polish. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. 2 Corinthians 9.11 says, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in what? Your generosity creates thanksgiving in other people. This is specifically talking, Paul is talking about the fact that the church of Corinth gave generously and it created thanksgiving in his heart. But it does. When you are generous, people are thankful. It creates a thanksgiving in their heart. Look at this, 2 Corinthians 4.15. It says, all this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. That when you, that reaching more and more individuals that the grace of God reaching more and more individuals will cause thanksgiving. How many have ever had thanksgiving in your heart when the church is in revival? When the church is full and God's doing great things, you feel thanksgiving, but that thanksgiving has a purpose to overflow to the glory of God. In other words, that thanksgiving fills you up and then overflows and gives glory to God. Amen? How many want to give glory to God with your life? How many want to give glory to God with your thanksgiving? Second Corinthians or that was that Psalms 104, David says this, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Give thanks. Everyone say, give thanks to him and praise his name. Psalms 95 and 2, some other thanksgiving scripture that you can write down if you're taking notes. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. This is why we have a worship team. Psalm 69:30. I praise God I praise God's name in song and glorify him with what? Oh, you, you glorify God with thanksgiving? If you're not a thankful person, if you don't learn how to give thanksgiving, there's an aspect of glorifying God that you're missing in your walk with God. Did you know that? 
We glorify God with thanksgiving. Psalm 7, 17, I will give thanks to the Lord because of his righteousness. I will sing praises of his name. I will sing praises of the name of the Lord Most High. I will give thanks to the Lord because of what? His righteousness. Just because of his righteousness, he deserves thanks. 1 Corinthians 10, 16, is not the cup of thanksgiving for which gives for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ. This is referring to communion. And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ. In other words, he's saying when you drink of the cup and you eat of the bread, that references and, and reminds us of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We're doing it in remembrance of him, and it should give us thanksgiving. Jeremiah 30 and 19 says, For them, from them will come songs of thanksgiving and the sound of rejoicing. How many know that's what should be in the church? Amen? Songs of thanksgiving and sound of rejoicing. I will add to their numbers. Who's going to add to the numbers? God will. And they will not be decreased. I will bring them honor, and they will not be disdained. Ezra 3 and 11 says, With praise and thanksgiving they sang to the Lord. He is good. His love toward Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise. This is where shouting and praising comes from. Came from the old days when they loved God and they lifted up their voice. Shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. I want you to know that there's nothing greater that we celebrate than the foundations that are laid for the house of the Lord. Amen. I've talked about them a little bit today. I hope I've encouraged you somewhat today. I know I haven't given you a lot of stories and a lot of different things, but the truth of the matter is that God is one, that we must repent and be baptized in Jesus' name, filled with God's Spirit. There's more, there's more to life than just living a day-to-day -day religious routine. We don't just live in religious motion. This isn't just us coming to church. You don't get saved because you come to church. You get saved because of the blood of the Lamb of Jesus Christ. Christ. I'm talking about a God who pursued us, gave us his all, and I'm thankful for that God. I'm so thankful that he gave us life in the blood. Amen. And it's so important that we know Leviticus 17, 11 says that. And it's so important that we know that God is not a God that doesn't have the ability to give us life and hope. And we send, we send all kinds of things out from this body. And I'm thankful for the gifts that we give, but our generosity is not our salvation. Our generosity and our ability to give, our ability to earn and, and give, that's not what saves us. What saves us is the blood of Jesus Christ because we're bulls and goats. We're not sufficient in the Old Testament. They weren't made to remit sin. They were only made to remind them of how grotesque sin was to God. It was to show them that this, this sacrifice and the, the sounds of slaughter and the innocent animal that died as your substitute, that is what God sees as sin. But the Bible, that's how he he sees sin. That's how terrible sin is in his mindset and, his, and in his view. But I want you to know that even though those animals could only push sin off in the Old Testament, Jesus Christ came as the perfect lamb. That is the foundation on which we stand today. It should give us the ability to celebrate God, to do things that, that cause us to get excited and shout unto God because we don't, we don't just have a sacrificed lamb, a perfect lamb named Jesus who just reminds us of how gross sin was through his sacrifice. That sacrifice was once and for all, for all mankind. And when we apply his sacrifice through faith in Jesus Christ and believe that that sacrifice is good enough for me, I'll apply it to my life in baptism. I'll put his name on my life, that we are not just reminding ourselves of how bad sin is. We're reminding ourselves that our sin has forever been remitted. We are justified in Jesus Christ just as if I'd never done it. That's what justification means. I'm excited and I'm preaching right now because this is not just something I do. I was bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. He saved me. He put his name on me. And when I have fallen, I call back to my baptism. I call back to my faith in Jesus Christ. And I say, God, wash me. And he's faithful to wash my sins away. Amen, somebody. He cleansed me. 1 John 1 17 said that he cleansed me. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of who? 
Jesus, his son, purifies us from our all sin. When we walk in the light, when we confess our sins, he purifies us. In Galatians 3.13, we are set free from the curse of sin. Ephesians 2.12-13, he's brought us near by the blood of the lamb. Ephesians 1 and 27-37, I believe he's redeemed us. Amen. These are all scriptures that I gave him. I'm not going to get to because I, I need to truncate this sermon. I've been too long and I apologize. I'm trying to hurt. Hebrews 10 and 22 gives us a clear conscience. And maybe you have struggled. I don't know. Maybe you have struggled with confidence with God because of your past mistakes. I want to preach to somebody right here because this is how I intend to close with this Thanksgiving service. That there is now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1. We don't have condemnation. In Hebrews 10 and 22, when it says we have a clear conscience toward God, when it's talking about that, go back to Hebrews if you wouldn't. When it says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from the guilty conscience, it's referencing that they sprinkled the blood of the, of the sacrifice lamb on the Ark of the Covenant. It says, and having our bodies washed with pure water. It's talking about the fact that God doesn't just push our sins aside. He remits them completely. It's as if you never did it. And the beauty of that is there's no shame anymore. There's no lack of relationship. There's no barrier between us and God. We don't spend time going, I hope he's not mad at me. God's not mad, bro. <laughs> God's not mad at you, at you at all. In fact, he longs for you to be in his presence. He loves you. So the fact that we don't have to just come I didn't see anybody pull up with a lamb sacrifice on top of their vehicle this morning. Are you glad about that? I didn't see anybody bringing in a bull or a goat or something or doves. We don't have those sacrifices anymore because Jesus was that perfect lamb. Amen? He was slain from the foundations of the world. Scripture has that thread running all the way through it that he was going to be our redeemer. I'm thankful for a redeemer. Amen? Are you thankful today? Would you stand with me today? And let's just lift our hands and let's just thank the Lord for the sacrifice of his blood. Lord Jesus, today, if there's someone in here that has maybe even had a lack of confidence in their walk with God. Maybe they don't know for sure that you have taken care of all those sins and all those things. Thank, stains, thank God for your blood because you can't see through blood, Jesus. You can see through education. You can see through money. You can see through our, our, our polish and our put together um, attributes, Lord Jesus, and you know the hidden scene. You know the things that are behind everything that we are. You know the places where we struggle most. Maybe there's someone in here that struggles with lust or struggles with desires that you don't feel like you can approach God the way you should. But today, I pray for the blood of Jesus Christ to fall on every situation because if it's under the blood, you cannot see it, God. It's covered, it's redeemed, it's washed, it's justified. It's made as if it was never there. Thank God that we will not stand before you one day and you will go over a list of all the things we've done wrong because we put it all under the blood. We will just walk into relationship with you and you'll say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, because you applied the sacrifice to your life. The application is so important. Preacher, how do we apply it? How do we apply the death, burial, and resurrection to our life? It's very simple. The death is repentance. We must repent of our sins. The burial is baptism. Being baptized in Jesus' name is a beautiful thing because we baptize here in the name, we preach the name because that is the reason why you get baptized, to wash sins. Acts 2.38 says, for the remission of sins. It says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the remission of sins. Sins need to be remitted because God's a just God and because he keeps record. How many glad God keeps good records? Because that not only means that if you need something wiped away, he will take care of it, but it also means that when someone does an injustice to you, God keeps that record in heaven. You don't have to fight back. You don't have to try to make it right. You just put it in God's hands because he keeps good books. Amen? I'm grateful for that. But because God keeps good books, he has a record of all my wrongs. 
And those wrongs have to be remitted or expunged. If you've ever talked to somebody that has a criminal record, they can be forgiven and they can walk out of a courtroom and never go to jail by a, by a judge who says, you know what, I think you're wrongfully accused, but I think you were a complicit. I think you were there. You could have done something different. And these things are on your rap sheet. So those things are going to stay in your record, but I'm not going to require you to live a sentence out. You can go free on probation. When a judge does that, he forgives that person. But he hasn't remitted their record, amen? I'm just talking to you about what it's like to apply it. Because in the old days where they're celebrating in Chronicles that I read to you, this is important. Give me two minutes. When they're celebrating in the Bible about the ark coming home, and they're celebrating and they're praising and they're worshiping, those Jews had a respect for the blood of the sacrifice. Those Jews knew what it meant to cover sin. And whenever they were celebrating all those things, they're not just celebrating that God gave them a substitute, but they were celebrating that the substitute was applied at the Passover. Because you can have a spotless lamb be sacrificed. They can do everything, all the procedures, all the religious motion. But if they didn't walk to the door in Egypt and apply the blood to the house, then the death angel would not have passed over their home. When they celebrate the Passover as Jews, they're celebrating not just the fact that the sacrifice took place. They're celebrating this, the fact that that's, that lamb's blood was applied to the house. And so when we talk about application, we're talking about being baptized in the name of Jesus because that's how you apply the name and the blood to the house. Amen? It's important that we understand that Jesus died for us. Thank God he did. Thank God he shed the blood. But we got to make application to that. It's not a work of righteousness. We don't get to stand in a special place and say, hey, look, we were handed a supreme form of worship. We were passed down a heritage of great things. No, we are people that have righteousness as filthy rags as everyone else. But thank God we applied his blood to our house. Amen. Thank God we applied his name. So you make application. And then God's spirit wants to fill you. I've seen people get filled with the Spirit of God so beautifully. I've seen them get it in places you wouldn't even think they would have had it. But baby Cindy's ready for the altar call. Thank God for thankfulness. Would you just help me today to pray a prayer? And Jesus, as we end our service today, I want to make an altar call. Faith is important, but faith that's not applied does not have working power. Our faith, is, has, our faith has to be applied to you, God. And we need the gospel message to be applied to our life, the death, burial, and resurrection applied to our life. Would you give us faith to believe that God can do more? Lord God, we, we're pulling ourselves out of so many different walks of life in this room. So many of us have different ways and different things we have to go back to today. And many of us may be traveling this week. Would you keep us safe? But as we travel, would you give a spirit of thankfulness over each one of us? Would you give us a spirit of thankfulness? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for bearing with me as I went a little long today. But it's important that we understand that thankfulness is all about what he's done for us. Amen. Our ability to be thankful is simply because he pursued us. You can pray if you need to. If you want to seek God for a moment, you may. Please fellowship with us afterwards. If, if you would, I'd love to shake your hand and say hello to you. Thank God for the testimony I see in each one of your lives. This is a room full of miracles. This is a room full of miracles. Maybe we can be thankful for where God brought us from. Maybe we can be thankful for what he kept us from and what he's brought us into. Are you glad that God gave you, gave you some great things and God has blessed you with so many wonderful things? I'm just asking that the Lord would move in our presence and he would touch our minds to not be cynical but to be thankful to touch our hearts to have a, a heart that's sensitive to him and, and thanksgiving would well up in us and that we would make it our pursuit to be thankful in Jesus name you can pray today and seek the Lord God bless you